Hello and welcome to the Stroke Special Interest Group podcast. Today we are lucky enough to be joined by two great guests who will be talking to us about vision impairments following stroke. Our first guest is Dr. Kathleen Degree. Dr. Kathleen Degree is a neurologist, neuro-ophthalmologist, and is board certified as a doctor of headache medicine. She works at the University of Utah Medical Center and founded the Neuro-Ophthalmology Service at the University of Utah's John A. Moran Eye Center, where she practices. She specializes in neuro-ophthalmology and headache, where she evaluates and treats complex visual complaints, which can be due to optic nerve or brain diseases. Dr. Degree sees patients with complex neuro-ophthalmologic disorders, such as papilledema, photophobia, visual loss, and diplopia, as well as migraine headaches and unusual headache disorders. Dr. Degree teaches at the University of Utah Medical School as Professor of Neurology and Ophthalmology. She is the Chief of the Division of Headache and Neuro-Ophthalmology, as well as an Adjunct Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She recently was appointed to the rank of Distinguished Professor at the University of Utah for her achievements that exemplify the highest goals of scholarship. She has authored over 200 peer-reviewed articles, chapters, and reviews. In addition, she has served for professional associations as a past president of the North American Neuro-Ophthalmology Society and is the current president of the American Headache Society. Welcome, Dr. Degree. First question we have for you is, what is neuro-ophthalmology and how is it different from ophthalmology relation, in relation to stroke? Well, neuro-ophthalmology is the study of the brain and the eye. And since most of the brain serves vision, a lot of the brain serves vision, uh, uh, there are always visual consequences to stroke. And um, I would just say that um, I'm a neurologist that does neuro-ophthalmology, but we have ophthalmologists that also do neuro-ophthalmology. And all of us, no matter whether you're ophthalmology trained, neurology trained, or both, uh, see visual consequences of stroke. Our second guest is Casey Mitchell. Casey holds a master's degree of occupational therapy from the University of Puget Sound and a graduate certification in low vision rehabilitation from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Casey currently works in the neurospecialty outpatient clinic for Intermountain Healthcare, working with a variety of clients with neurologic injuries, many of whom have vision impairments. Casey also works for the Moran Eye Center, working with low vision and neurologically impaired vision patients. Casey has been an occupational therapist for over 16 years with an emphasis in neuro rehab and enjoys the challenge of working with clients who have multiple diagnoses in order for them to achieve greater independence and quality of life. In addition, he is an adjunct professor for the University of Utah in both the Department of Occupational and Recreational Therapy and Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Science. Casey, you have some specialized training in vision therapy. Can you describe that to us a little bit more in detail? So my background is, is in um, low vision, is when vision can't be corrected anymore. And then I've, I've recently um, worked in the clinic we, we work with brain injury patients, stroke, and then also people who have acquired brain injury. And so I, I've, I've taken some courses on um, basically brain injury and vision. And then I, I have a, a graduate certificate in low vision. And so that was just kind of a study of, of the visual system. And so then, in, you know, integrating 
vision into treatment and vice versa is, is really my specialty. So, Okay, that sounds great. Thank you for both for joining us. Dr. Degree, could you remind us briefly of the visual pathways and anatomic structures most associated with vision that could be affected after a stroke? I know you said there was already quite a few. Yeah, well, um, first of all, uh, the eye itself can be affected by vision, uh, by visual loss with stroke. And that's with central retinal artery occlusions, branch retinal artery occlusions, and uh, uh, and strokes can come from the anterior circulation or the posterior circulation. And if I just uh, take you through the visual pathway first, I'll just, it's the eye uh, connected with the optic nerve. And then at the chiasm, there's a crossing that occurs. And then the, at, uh, when the crossing is over, we have an optic tract that takes vision then to the lateral geniculate body and then to the uh, cortex and, uh, and eventually the occipital lobe. It, it all ends up in the occipital lobe, um, uh, but it goes from the lateral geniculate, it can go up through the parietal lobe and, uh, and down through the temporal lobe. And that visual pathway then um, can be affected by stroke in any one of the places. So in the eyeball, you can have an anterior stroke that causes a central retinal artery occlusion or a branch retinal artery occlusion, or it can cause an ischemia to the entire eye uh, through an ophthalmic artery occlusion. Uh, the next place that you can have, which is not really a stroke, but it's like a stroke to the optic nerve, which is anterior ischemic optic neuropathy, it's a small vessel occlusive problem that occur, can occur either idiopathically or uh, it can occur in, in associate, association with giant cell arteritis. And then um, going further back to the chiasm, uh, sometimes there are infarctions of the chiasm itself, but because the chiasm has a very rich blood supply, it's, it's not always affected by a stroke per se. But the tract, optic tract, lateral geniculate, and the occipital lobe, as well as the uh, branches that come from the lateral geniculate to the occipital lobe can give you visual pathway strokes. And these will be homonymous visual field defects. Then if you have, and, and the anterior pathway would give you mostly uh, retinal artery occlusions and, um, and maybe some occlusions of that would affect quadrantic defect but most of the posterior occlusions which are from the posterior circulation this comes from the vertebral arteries up the basilar artery into the posterior cerebral arteries um, can give you occipital lobe strokes and also give you homonymous uh, strokes the this posterior circulation then can affect the brainstem to give you double vision, and the cerebellum, which can give you uh, various types of nystagmus. So you can see that it's there's an anterior type of pathway that can give you some visual field defects, and posterior pathways give you visual field defects. And then it can uh, give you double vision if it affects the brainstem and nystagmus, uh, if it affects the cerebellum, and if it's embolic, it could cover all 
all of the pathways if it was coming from the heart. It can be complicated. <laughs> yes, it can be very complicated. We've seen that in the clinic, I think, um, every one of us. Uh, so thank you for going through that so uh, concisely. And the next question we have for you, Dr. Degree, is what subjective complaints uh, should we be on the lookout for that may indicate visual impairments after someone has had a stroke um, that may not actually sound like visual impairments or um, sound like visual impairments, but we need to dive in a little bit deeper for? Okay, so a study was actually done on what are the complaints and the problems that people have after a stroke. It was just recently pub published in PLUS in 2019. And the first thing that seems to be affected is central visual acuity in over half of the cases. And then that should be a red flag. If you have a, um, a little handheld card, you're in the hospital or in a rehab facility or whatever, you need to do visual acuity. And if it's not 2020, then you've got to have a reason for why it's not 2020, okay? And so that's really a big clue that something is going on. Uh, the next thing could be double vision. Uh, people will complain of double vision. Uh, and sometimes they'll complain of visual field loss, but nature doesn't like a void. So they're unlikely to walk into your office or your clinic or your hospital saying, oh, um, I'm having uh, problems with my visual field off to the right. They're going to just say something's not right in my right eye. So that should be a clue to somebody taking care of a stroke. Then there can be visual inattention or visual perception problems. And inattention means that they really don't know what's going on, but they may not be paying attention to one side of their vision. And um, most people with stroke are going to have something that affects more than one visual category. Over half of those uh, patients with stroke are going to affect one of the other. They'll have more than just one category. And that's why it's difficult. It's difficult for us. We have to figure out all the problems that a person has when we see somebody who has a stroke to figure out, do they have an acuity problem that's related to uh, just a refractive issue, or is this related to the stroke itself? A physical therapist will usually perform a, a basic visual screening exam, including smooth pursuits, conversion, saccades, field cuts, depth perception, um, and brief acuity. This ba basic visual screen uh, helps with some visual concerns related to balance problems um, or scanning that may affect the person's safety. Um, in your opinion, which visual impairments are the most important to screen for from a physical therapy perspective? So um, I would say um, that visual acuity, I know you do a brief one, but that visual acuity is actually really important. It should be done distance and near, but if you only have a near card, that can suffice. Frequently, what people forget to do is check the pupils for a relative afferent pupillary defect, because that may be a clue as to where in the visual system the problem is. It could be in the optic nerve, uh, it could be in the retina, uh, and or it could be in the tract. The visual field should be done each eye individually and not both eyes at the same time, but I would check for simultaneous neglect with uh, both eyes open. I agree about pursuit and saccades and, and looking for nystagmus, but I think one of the most important tests to do is to do a cover-cross-cover cover test, which really um, looks for a misalignment of the eyes, and that will cause double vision and will cause a lot of visual confusion for a person. 
Um, and then finally, I know most physical therapists don't have a way to look at the fundus, but that's uh, also important. Um, and then as far as neurologic examination, I know that most physical therapists check the cranial nerves, look for a hemiparesis or hemiplegia. I don't know how often reflexes are tested, but they're very helpful. And then making sure that people can walk or if they can't walk, um, you know, what kind of devices they need to um, be mobile. Yeah, that's great. Um, Casey, do you want to weigh in on this one too for evaluation that you might think might be helpful um, that maybe you guys typically perform that might be easy enough for us to understand? And Absolutely. Um, you know, she, she mentioned really all of them. Um, but, you know, just to stress the importance of, you know, acuity, like um, many of the paper pencil tests that are, that are often administered to um, people with strokes, if, if there's any type of acuity problem, these, these paper pencil tests are really, they, they don't show anything. Um, in fact, they might, you know, if, if somebody doesn't check carefully, they'll give a false positive to something else. Um, and so, you know, the acuity is, is essential. And, and, you know, sometimes we, when we don't have access to an acuity card, you know, just pulling out some, something that they can read is, is sometimes gives you an indication. So, you know, even if you don't have all the equipment, you can really give, get a pretty good idea of, of, of acuity, um, even in a, in a clinic that isn't stocked well. Um, and then, you know, I, I really like, I like that she mentioned the cover and cover test too, because that, you know, sometimes some, a patient will have a phoria where, you know, they'll have double vision, but it's only when they're tired or fatigued. And, and that will often bring that out. So, you know, you, you know that there, there might be something more than just, you know, to their complaint, um, but it, it kind of helps you figure that out as well. And then I, I always just, I'm, I'm looking for nystagmus, you know, so those cranial nerves, how they're affected. You know, if you see any kind, I, I work with a lot of kids with concussions and, you know, their, their visual system should just work very, very, very efficiently. And so if there's any kind of little glitches in there, then that's, that's usually an indication that something is going on with the brain. So. Great. I would just add, you know, if you don't have a visual acuity card, you could take out, um, you know, a phone book, a uh, book, just a regular book, or and then just say the person was able to read, um, you know, something from the phone book or something that's kind of a standardized, like a book, uh, a paperback or a magazine uh, with both eyes. And and reading, the problem with reading is if you've got certain types of strokes, you might wipe out your reading. So you have to maybe even ask about individual letters. Uh, just say, can you just tell me what letters you see on this page. Yeah, that, that's something you see a lot with stroke is, I, I worked with a, a gentleman years ago that had aphasia. Um, so he couldn't tell us, and, and that's, that's some of the problem with vision. Sometimes people have to tell you some of these things. But I discovered he had double vision because we were playing chess and he kept putting the chess piece on the wrong square. And so it was like, you know, we, we then put a patch on him and all of a sudden he could play correctly. So, you know, you have to rely in, in the clinic, especially on, you know, just what you see, you know, our observations are, are, can be pretty accurate. Yeah, that's great. Um, so how do you guys typically assess for diplopia? Um, we talked a little bit about acuity already um, and field cuts. I think those are um, some of the things that we struggle with um, from physical therapy, not having as much formal education on those. Um, so, uh, so for uh, visual fields, 
um, we cover each eye individually and uh, present numbers in all four quadrants of somebody's vision. Um, and then each eye individually. And then I do both eyes at the same time with simultaneous stimulation. I would say there's a wonderful resource for all listeners, uh, which is the Novel Library, the Neuro-Ophthalmology Virtual Educational Library, novel.utah.edu. It comes out with a partnership between the North American Neuro-Ophthalmology Society and the University of Utah Eccles Health Sciences Library. And this partnership has developed a virtual library in neuro-ophthalmology. And in this library, you can find out how to do visual fields, how to check visual acuity, how to do cover cross-cover testing, how to look at eye movements, how to look at pursuits, saccades, et cetera. So I would urge your listeners to check out that library because it has many of the examination tools in the library. It's free, it's open access. Um, and Nanos just published um, a, a, a piece called Nanos Next, uh, Neuro-Ophthalmology Examination Techniques. Um, and it's available through your library. Just ask your library to acquire it. It's like um, uh, from StatRef, it's just a, like a journal type of thing, but it's available to um, health sciences libraries and libraries can order it. So it's a great resource, both novel and this uh, Nanos uh, Next um, Examination Technique. Um, curriculum is is really great for your listeners. That's awesome. It's always great to to compile more resources because um, in the clinic it can be overwhelming. So having those free resources is wonderful. So um, additional areas of concern post stroke are inattention and visual perceptual deficits. Is it often difficult to determine concerns related to vision as opposed to something else? And do you have any insights that that might be helpful for PT um, to try and discover some of those differences, particularly for therapists who maybe are in more rural settings and have less access to a vision specialist um, of any kind? Well, I'd say first get your exam as best you can, um, because that will help you at least know what the deficits are. If you can get the exam down a little bit, you know, the acuity, the field, the eye movements. Um, and then, um, you know, if they're still complaining, and uh, you're just not seeing what they're complaining about, then Casey is as the master of finding out what's really going on. He, he, he's like a magician. He goes out there and he figures it out. So Casey, I know you have lots of pearls that you can share on that one. You know, a, a lot of times it's just a matter of um, just, I, I, like, I like to go to their homes to do it because you can figure out, you know, in their own environment, what's difficult for them. Um, and then, you know, it, it's really just about teasing out, you know, and, and for me, it's not so much important. You know, I, I like to see what, how it's affecting their function and then kind of going from there. Um, like I, I saw a guy recently that um, his vision, he described it as like looking through a kaleidoscope or his, it, like looking at a bunch of flies. It just was all over the place. And for him, it, it just is, you know, you kind of rack your brain. Is any of his vision functional? And to be honest, it really may not be because it, it's very confusing to him. So it, I, I, I'm kind of taking a different approach that I, we, we might just start teaching him blind technique and see if it makes it easier for him to do things rather than the other way around. Um, otherwise, what, you would, what I would like to do is just see, you know, is there a spot where they have some normal vision and then work from there? 
feeding off of that question, um, what type of impairments uh, would warrant a referral to an OT with vision specialty or neuro-ophthalmology um, if we do have access to those? So I would just say uh, um, anybody who's got visual complaints that the ophthalmologist or optometrist can't really help the OT, PT figure out what to do next, um, then they should get they should probably go to a neuro-ophthalmologist. Um, uh, many ophthalmologists and optometrists are very good at saying what the visual de defects are. If the patient's still complaining and nobody can come up with why they've got the complaints, neuro-ophthalmologists are detectives and we go after everything. At what, by the time they get out of our clinics, man, they know that they've had their visual system completely looked at because we, do have other tests that are available. I mean, we can look at a visual field, a formal visual field, in addition to our confrontation fields. We can look in the back of the eye and uh, we can detect abnormalities with uh, electroretinograms and multifocal ERGs and visually evoked potentials and fluorescein angiograms. And so we have, a, we have a lot of tools that can help tell the PT and OT where, where and what's going on. Uh, but I tell you, after a stroke, the PTOT is really the place to go because these guys, uh, all, all of them I've ever used, and especially Casey, who's amazing, uh, are just excellent at helping patients try to get their lives back together, especially, you know, this is really hard, right? PT, a stroke is really hard on somebody. Your life is different, and you've got to figure out how to navigate the world in a different way. Yeah. So I have an example of, of, of when this was done right. We had a, a, a young man that came to us a, a while ago, but he went to just a, just a routine eye exam. You know, he was complaining about some, you know, some problem with, with a visual field, and the optometrist then sent him to neuro-ophthalmology. They found that he actually had a tumor that was pressing down on, I, I believe it was the optic nerve, and once that tumor was removed, he still had some visual field deficit, but we were able to help him start reading again. And what was great is he loved to read at this point. He really avoided reading prior to this, and he didn't do very well in school. But we were able to kind of get him motivated. He, he was working on – we got him working on his um, GRE packets. Or, or, um, yeah, his graduate packets, whatever they're called. I can't remember. But um, and then he got into a, to a, um, a vocational program. And so – it, it was really fun to see him progress, but he really wouldn't have until that tumor was removed and his visual system was a, had a chance to really heal and rebound. How might I find an OT with vision specialty or a neuro-ophthalmologist if I'm a newer clinician or I'm just transitioning into neuro rehab um, and I'm, I'm trying to find those resources for patients? Is there a okay. good to find a neuro-ophthalmologist, go to the North American Neuro-Ophthalmology website, nanosweb.org, and uh, there it, it says, find a neuro-ophthalmologist. You put in where, where you live, and, and they give it within you know, 10 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles, 200 miles, whatever, but um, all of those are uh, uh, to help you find a neuro-ophthalmologist. Awesome. That's great. And unfortunately with OT, we're not that organized. So <laughs> we're, it's kind of new for us to, to be in vision or to work with vision. And so um, we're, we're right now trying to I take on as many students as I can and, and, and give them as, as, as much education in terms of, of, of 
occupational therapies relationship to vision as, as possible. So um, there are a number of schools and sometimes that's the best way to go. Um, I, I did my, my low vision training at University of Alabama and there's also Envision in, in Kansas City. Sometimes graduates from these programs um, will know where um, there are some resources or where people have, have it. So we're really trying to get more out there, but right now, unfortunately, there's not a ton of us. So, Okay. Um, so moving on to prognosis now. Um, Dr. Degree, what is the most common visual impairment post-stroke? Um, well, visual acuity. Uh, so, and, and I, I can't stress this enough because let's say you have a field defect, but let's say you need glasses. That's something we can do. I mean, that's, I, I, I want to just say, start with visual acuity, because if we get people seeing the best that they can see with what they've got left, that's, that's doing a great job for them. And I, I see Casey is in agreement with me on this one. <laughs> right, Casey? Yes. Um, and, then, uh, and then I think uh, the thing, you know, if it's a visual field defect, uh, that's where Casey and a physical therapist, occupational therapist, can be very helpful in helping patients figure out how they're going to navigate their world and, and what this means to their lives. If it's double vision, I try to put in um, prisms into their glasses, you know, because I can put a stick-on prism into their glass, and they, that might take care of their double vision. And the good thing about strokes in general, uh, this is an in general, is they do get a little bit better with time. I would say sometimes I've seen people get better progressively over a whole year. And so I always encourage people to not give up right away because things tend to get better with time. And the brain is wonderful at trying to help you deal with whatever deficit you have. That's why we got great brains. And if we've got a brain that can help uh, navigate through a different pathway, uh, people will see better. Um, so I think diagnosing and saying what the defects are, getting the best prescription lens for the patient, and then um, and then if we can do some double vision work. If we can't, sometimes what I do is I call it my magic scotch tape uh, treatment. Uh, instead of a pirate patch, I just put scotch tape over one lens and get rid of the double vision so that they can at least navigate. Imagine having to work with two images all the time. That would drive anybody crazy. And if they've got a lot of um, nystagmus, seeing if you can find a position where their nystagmus isn't quite so bad, that sometimes can be helpful too. So that's kind of what I do is refraction, prisms. Uh, I try to uh, have, you know make sure that they know what their defects are. And some people don't can't see their defects, but their family members see them because they're they've got neglect or um, you know they've got impairments that they can't recognize. So and then I then I definitely make a PTOT referral because I feel like PTOT for me is wonderful because they can help work with the patient to get function into their lives. You know, and, and with visual acuity, um, I'm working with our, our our speech therapists in our in our clinic. Um, going through some of their cognitive tests that have a visual component and that's we, we just went through a bunch of them and, and assessed it and that's and that's really the, what I came up with too is 
you know, if they do a quick and dirty visual acuity test, then they'll know if what they're seeing in the cognitive assessment is real. If not, they're going to get a false positive for cognition, and it's just a visual problem. You know, if, if, and if, if all they need is glasses, man, that's fantastic, because that's something you can change immediately. Um, other times, you, you're kind of dependent on, um, you know, uh, what, how much damage there is to their cognition. Like, so somebody that has neglect versus just a hemianopsia, you know, you can teach somebody to scan for a missing field, if they have a neglect there as well, you're going to have to recruit their whole family and friends, and you're, it's going to take just more repetitions than you can possibly provide. So you've got to recruit the family to get them looking to this side, looking to the, the affected side all the time. Um, and so, you know, all those kind of things. I've, I've even been trying something with, with double vision where we do like a, um, a binasalar scotch tape thing. So all they have to do is turn their head, and they cover up vision with one side. And so... You know, there's some tricks like that that help people function just daily that are great. You're, you just can't tolerate double vision. It just is so hard cognitive. It just pushes you into cognitive fatigue. So if you can take that away, even if it's a temporary thing, it's, it's fantastic for them. What is the level of spontaneous recovery of vision uh, impairments post-stroke? And Dr. Degree, you went into that a little bit, but um, if there's anything else you'd like to add. Uh, most of the time, people improve, and it depends on what defect they have. But, um, but, but they they never usually never get back to baseline unless it's just an eye movement issue. They might be able to recover from, uh, but if it's a real field defect, those are usually pretty permanent. Um, they might be able they can you know work with the PTOT to try to you know expand that. But but there's often a permanent visual loss if it's a visual field defect. Diplopia can or cannot uh, improve, depends on where the lesion is and what, how big it is. Um, that's my assessment on that. Okay. Um, so Casey, this one's directed towards you. What is the prognosis for functional improvement for field loss, visual perceptual deficits, diplopia? If you could just talk to that for a minute. They're, they're functionally, you know, I think a lot of it depends on just how severe and how, um, how much of a cognitive component there is. Um, if, if somebody has, for example, if somebody has a neglect, that makes, you know, overcoming the, the, the field cut much more difficult. If it's just a, a field cut, you can teach somebody to scan pretty effectively. Even if it's a, it's a pretty dramatic field cut, you can teach them how to scan to that side to the point where they start feeling safe or more safe. You can also teach families things like sighted guide um, to get them through that initial part where they're more comfortable going out. Because that's one of the things that I always worry about is, you know, I don't want people to barricade themselves into their home because they're scared to go out. And so if you teach family how to help them and then eventually teach them how to train somebody else of, you know, grabbing an elbow and leading them around, that in and of itself makes it so they can go out into public. Um, those kind of things are, are, are pretty good. I, and I find that most people, you know, they, they, they will get better with time. Things get easier. They get used to it. Their brain adapts to some degree. Um, and our job is really to facilitate how, you know, is, is there a way to get them to a point where they are functional and more comfortable with their impairment as quickly as we can. And so that's where we use tricks and that's where we use teaching to the family, um, those kind of things. Um, so, again, in relation to the prognosis, how do these impact uh, the basic ADLs, eye ADLs? 
in particular driving? I know that's always the million dollar question. It is. Everybody that has any kind of visual problem, they're always asking about driving. And, and some of it's, some of the, the answers to that are pretty easy. If somebody has a 90 degree field cut, their days of driving are over. I mean, they, they just don't have enough visual field to be safe. Um, and that's kind of an assessment we do. Um, I've, I've got one particular client that has, um, has a pretty significant visual field loss. He got, started getting some return in his, in his far periphery, but he, he has this gap um, right where you would look for opposing traffic. And so even though it's a smaller, you know, I, I tell him that if, it were, if, if he were missing the field and it were all the way to the side, he probably has enough vision to drive, but where it's the location of the field cut makes it just, I would want to ride with him. So um, I tease him that if he decides to drive, he needs to call me so I can take the bus that day. So you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, you, you have to work through some of these issues because people really want to drive. Um, and, and sometimes the answer is just no. Now in terms of basic ADLs, um, you can teach people how to do things really with very little vision. and you know, there's usually enough motor memory and, and, and things like that that they, they can get back to those kind of things. Sometimes IADLs are a little bit more challenging, but if you, if you take them one at a time, you can usually figure a workaround or, you know, some type of adaptation that will help them, you know, do a semblance of what they were doing before. Okay. Um, I'm going to add a, a follow-on question, um, and it can be to either of you. How do you guys make the distinction when someone is able to drive again or to take a license away? Um, if you guys could just talk through the thought process, because I know that's always um, a challenging thing for anybody involved in the, in the care of somebody who's had some visual impairments at post-stroke. I'll, I'll take the first step and I'll let Casey do the cleanup. Um, uh, on that, that's a really hard question, but um, again, what we do is we assess the acuity, and our state has rules about what acuity they have to have, how much visual field they have to have in order to drive, and then there's different levels of, you know, can you drive, you know, on a freeway, or can you drive here and there, and, but there are levels of, in, our, in our state, um, and each state has got different rules, so um, you've got to know what your rules of your state are. Uh, if it's um, a homonymous defect, meaning the whole visual field to one side or the other is out, that's pretty much, you know what, that's just not going to work. And if it's an inferior quadrantic stroke, that is usually not going to work. If it's superior quadrant, sometimes those people can drive because they can safely see what's below them. Um, if it's just one eye, uh, often they, those people can drive. Um, and then uh, um, we always have the backup of our OT and PT. So if we don't know and we're worried, we just call up our PT and OT and they do a driving evaluation. And we love that because we go, you know what? Maybe you meet the criteria for driving, but I want to make sure you're safe to drive. And then they have to go through a driving evaluation. And then I hand it over to PTOT to do that driving eval. Okay, Casey. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I do something kind of similar. We, in, in the clinic I work in, we have a driving specialist. And I know Sugar House, where um, Dr. Gurry sends a lot of her patients, um, they also have a driving specialist. So I'll work with somebody and to, 
we'll, you know, I'll take them through tests like, is their visual reaction time sufficient? Um, how about their, their problem solving? Um, do they have the emotional stability to drive? You know, um, we had one client not too long ago that met all the criteria, but I was really scared that he was going to follow somebody home to cut him off. And, you know, his anger was just not there. And so that person worries me, even though he meets other criteria. And so, but, you know, we kind of do the same thing. I will get somebody to the point where I've checked all the boxes, you know, they can react fast enough. They, 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 they appear to have the acuity. Their fields seem good. Um, then I send them to somebody that's been doing this for a very long time, specifically in, in driving. And they take them through a battery of tests and then they will take them out on the road to see how they handle the stress of driving. Um, and, and that's kind of what we do. And it's, it's a fun thing to see somebody that you didn't really believe could get back to driving prove you wrong. And it's really quite an uncomfortable thing to tell somebody that really wants to drive that there's just, it's not a safe thing for them to do. And it's likely never going to be a safe thing for them to do. Moving on to treatment. What are options for treatment for visual field loss? Well, uh, you know, there's been all kinds of people who tried to come up with um, algorithms for visual fields and putting and charging a lot of money to pay attention. Um, again, I will rely on my PT and OT for helping on the visual fields the most. And, and really, visual field is just it's about getting that repetitive scanning. I, I like to put somebody um, initially when I'm doing the training, I like to, you know, get them looking to their affected side and I like to set it up on a cadence. So every time their right foot goes down, they look to the right. Um, and I just do things very, very repetitively. Because um, even, even those who have a visual field loss um, and no neglect, their brain tends to, give them the, the feeling that they have a full visual field. And so it's, it's, you know, it's neglect is kind of more obvious than that or more, you know, difficult to overcome. But even somebody that has a, a pretty significant field cut, their brain tends to, to operate like, no, I, I see everything. I'm fine. And so it is just doing something very repetitive to get them to move over to that side, to get them looking to that side. And so set up all kinds of scenarios to help them learn that. I, I recruit family. Um, I recruit other therapists, you know, so I, I make sure that their physical therapist that is on the same team is doing, you know, making them address that affected side speech therapy. You know, everybody needs to be on board in terms of helping somebody get consistently looking to the, the affected side. Um, so what are options for treatments for visual perceptual deficits post-stroke? That's harder. That's a lot harder. Um, and um, again, I think that's where PTOT can help a lot more than, I mean, we can tell people what their issues are, but that's a lot harder for us to deal with. I, I, I kind of call vision perception, and this is like the rocket science of vision, I mean, people like Dr. Gree actually understand it. I, I really, you know, it, for me, it's just about trying to observe where the, the, the deficits are and then trying to, to work ways around that. Um, it, is, it is just so hard. Um, if, if possible, you, you communicate and just 
try to get a, a picture through lots and lots of time um, of what their visual picture is like. Um, and this manifests itself all over the place. Like I've, I've got patients and I see, I know Dr. Degree, she sees all kinds of patients like this. Um, but you know, I, I have, I had one guy that I, I was testing, you know, his, his um, smooth pursuits and my testing target was yellow and just the color yellow sent him over the edge. I mean, and so at that point I, I'd already lost, you know, it was like, I, he never came back and I was just like, it felt so bad because I, you know, my target was yellow and it just set him off. But, you know, color, I mean, um, motion, um, any of these things can just send them, you know, if I push it too hard on that first day, um, I've given them a horrible migraine and they hate me. And so, you know, just, just learning how much I can ask them to do, just be very careful. I mean, and, and sometimes I give people what I think is a very conservative amount of, of, of like range of motion exercises or anything like that. And it, I find out later that it was too much. And so it's like, you have to err on the side of, of, of extreme caution. Um, because you know, a headache, especially a visual headache, it just doesn't get much worse when it comes to pain like that. And so, and Dr. Degree's caseload is just full of people that are just, you know, that she helps immensely, but they still are just so limited by the, that, that head pain. Yeah. Okay. So what are treatment options for ocular motility deficits post-stroke? So uh, I already mentioned uh, stick on prisms to glasses, and then you can, if the visual diplopia stays the same, you can get, you can grind them into a glass, and, and that's very helpful. And if it's stable for a long enough time, we can refer them for muscle surgery. Um, business surgeons can then straighten people's eyes out if they've got double vision and skew deviations. Um, so, but I usually, I wait a long time on those because usually they can get a little bit better with time and uh, you don't want to do surgery or anything drastic because people can get better with time. And, and we see, we see clients occasionally too. If you add, if you add some exercises, muscle, eye muscle exercises that sometimes you can address that and, 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 you know, help them get a little bit better. Now it doesn't work for everybody. I mean, a lot of it depends on like, you know, the things that I don't understand that Dr. Gree pointed out earlier of where the damage is, um, how much damage um, in the brain was done. Um, so some people respond well to treatment and their, their double vision resolves over time. Other people, you know, it's just a matter of, of helping them adapt, um, find ways, you know, to, to find single vision and then ultimately hope that the surgeons can, can, really make a change in their life. Post-treatment, how much of the improvement do you guys feel is related to improvements in lost or altered vision and how much of it is substitution or adaptation to improve the functional ability? Yes is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the answer. It depends, right? Both. Always. I mean, you, the goal is you know, to, to help them return to as close to normal as possible and then you always end up adapting. I mean, to some degree or another, because, um, you know, their, their double vision may go away, but then there might be um, some perceptual issues that you weren't aware of when you first started that come up. Are there outcome measures that can document progress throughout therapy that would be valuable for PTs? Obviously, we do some that are very mobility related, but are there others that, that might be helpful, a little bit more vision related? 
or uh, in terms of neuro-ophthalmology, are there things that you would like to see the, the PT report to you specifically? Um, oh, I, you know, will send uh, to the PT and they'll have my records about what's wrong. And, um, and I just, I think that PT and OT are so important. Uh, everybody that has a stroke should see somebody to help them overcome their deficits. And um, I don't know of any measures per se. Um, if they're not doing well, like could I have missed something in my exam that I should be working on? Or uh, you know, do I have the acuity the best I can get it? I mean, these are things that I have to always ask myself if they're not doing well in PT and OT. Have, have I diagnosed everything? Have I got the best glasses? Have I got the best exam on them that I can get. And, and I rely on PT and OT to say to me, you know, this person's still not doing well. Could you just check, recheck that visual field or recheck this or something like that? I, I love it. And I, I think the best outcome measure for us is um, just return to function. Um, you know, at some point, it doesn't really matter if their vision has improved I mean, if they can go back and resume some of the meaningful tasks that they've not been able to do, um, to some degree, you know, that's really the outcome measure. Are they able to do things that they enjoy? Are they able to, to you know, continue on with their life? Um, I know outcome measures are kind of a, a, a big buzzword in therapies right now, you know, in, in terms of medicine in general. Is there, you know, a test that you can give them that shows that they've improved? Um, and I think we're in the process of developing some of those, but most of them aren't, aren't sensitive enough to know if there's anything. Like my, my goal when I go to somebody's home or when I work with somebody that has had a, a longstanding um, vision problem is often, to, is there one task that we can do that, you know, that they've been unable to do that we can help them start again? I mean, and, and it can be anything. Um, like I worked with a lady with, with macular degeneration, which is just, it's not really a neural problem, but it, it has some, you know, some very fundamental function, functional problems. This, this lady loved to make, she's this little Austrian lady, and she liked to make these single needle um, holiday cards. And so we had to set up a station that provided magnification and light. And really what we did is we just, we, we addressed the specific problem. And for her, it was magnification, lighting, and then a stable surface to work with so she could use two hands. And we, we, we provided that, and then she was able to do the task again. And so that's really the outcome measure that I like the most is, can somebody return to a meaningful task again? And sometimes one is all we get, and, but that's, that's a pretty good outcome for me. Um, so the last question I have for you guys is, what is the goal of occupational therapists who work with individuals who have vision impairments post-stroke, and how do they compare and or build off of neuro-ophthalmology goals or interventions? Well, I, I think it's, um, you know, here's a good example of how uh, uh, providers, um, you know, medical providers, neuro-ophthalmologists, work with OT and PT to get the best outcome for patients. We can go so far in the diagnosis and we can identify issues, but really we have to work hand in glove because when it comes to function, you guys have the tricks that uh, we don't have. We, you have the, you can 
put things together that are going to work better for patients. Um, you have more time to kind of observe and watch what they're doing or what they want to do. Oftentimes we have busy clinics that we have to just run in and run out. Uh, we don't have, you know, we can't sit there for five hours or even an hour watching what they're doing and seeing what, what they want to be doing. So I, this is a good example of interprofessional collaboration, right? Um, and, and how important that is for every single patient that we see. And I, I would agree with that a great deal. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not comfortable working with somebody, you know, especially if they've got a lot of visual problems. Um, if they've not seen somebody like Dr. Degree, I mean, Dr. Degree is fantastic because she just she understands the therapy component and and just the need for people to get better. I mean, she's but she is also just a gifted physician in terms of. Um, you know, figuring out what's wrong and the, and the cause. And, you know, that's, those kind of things are so far above, uh, you know, my, my way of thinking that it's just fantastic when we have her report that suggests this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. And it, it gives us a great place to start in terms of just figuring out um, how to get person, a person back into their life. And it's, it's just a fun relationship. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, do you guys have any parting comments or any other pearls that you think you want to share with us? I, I just want to thank Dr. Degree. I, I um, especially her descriptions through neural pathways and that I, I was taking notes the whole time. So <laughs> I feel like I've just been to a, a, a seminar on this. So thank you very much. Well, go to the novel website and uh, you're, you can have a whole tutorial and all kinds of things. Uh, lectures on things, uh, the Moran Corps, you know, the Moran Eye Center here at the University of Utah has just uh, started a new website called the Moran Corps. It's a clinical ophthalmology resources and education. It's another open resource. Uh, and there are lectures that we give our residents in visual pathways. And oh. you can listen to these whole, uh, just a whole lecture that we do for our residents. Uh, and we've got medical student um, and basic ophthalmology uh, section. So go to the morancore.utah.edu, and that is a resource, open resource. It's got videos, it's got lectures, it's got grand rounds, but it also, and, and we do, we've started a um, kind of a rehab component too. And um, so we're hoping that our low vision specialists and KCU and Lisa Ord and some of our team here at the Moran Eye Center will work to populate um, information for other people across the whole United States and the world. Uh, this is an open access uh, um, website for the whole world as well as our country. Great, that's awesome. And on part of the American Neurologic Physical Therapy Association Stroke Special Interest Group, uh, we wanna just say thank you to both of you. Um, for spending some time with us and imparting your wisdom on us. So thank you very much. Well, and uh, keep up the good work because we have to work together. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. <laughs>